Let's get going. Calm yourself, Representative. Stay still. But Risa must hurry. That city, it's a muy big. Risa have to move fast to catch the cultists. We cannot rush into this. We must remain calm and let the Force guide us. <sighs> but maybe using the Force taking too longer and they're getting away. No. Running blindly through the city will only waste time and allow them to escape. Now be still. Ah, okay, day, Master and Mace. <sighs> I see. People. Market. Streets. Yep, Mace, I see that from here, too. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Yes, hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the, well, seven-year history now of the Emmy Award-winning animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. We've got a great show for you this week, talking about the Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu duology from Season 6, and I just have to say... Mr. Moy Moy excited to be talking about this one with Mr. Great Palos here. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, sorry. Just had, had something in my throat there. Anyways, we'll be getting into all that. The, dis- the Disappeared Part 1 and Part 2. The only Clone Wars episodes to be Part 1 and Part 2. Interesting choice, interesting choice. But really, the title's not what matters. It's the content, and we'll be discussing that here tonight. And joining me, as he always does, is... Well, actually, I should introduce myself first. I forget to do that sometimes this is what happens with age <laughs> says the 21 year old um introductions are in order if you're new to the show my name is dominic and joining me as he always does is my good friend and co-host the award-winning kieran duggan hello again dominic uh it seems like we've been convening far too often now with each other aren't we i feel like it moved from a, a fortnightly uh event to now being a weekly thing and it's Oh, it's getting tiring now, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I basically, basically, we're sick of each other, and that's why the show's going back to fortnightly pretty soon. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Not too long away in the future. No, I kid, of course. Yeah, it's always yeah. fantastic to hear your voice, Mr. Jones. And, of course, at the time of recording, celebrating his birthday. Woo! Woo! Yeah, well, well not yesterday. tonight, but the night before. Yeah, the night so, before. and. <laughs> And that was good night. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun. I had a had a had a lot of fun. Had some, it was sort of I went to went to see some dinner theater, which was actually kind of cool. It was superhero themed, which was which was nice. Couldn't find any Star Wars themed, but you know I feel like there's probably some licensing issues there if they keep it from from happening. But still a good good night. Got got a lot of Star Wars gifts. I will say that lots and lots of Star Wars gifts. Pretty much everything I got was Star Wars, which. I can't complain about that at all. That that's pretty that's pretty much what I wanted. So <laughs> it was a good day. Yeah, no complaints there. Yeah. Apart from the fact that clearly the dinner theater are missing out on a market because yeah. Star Wars, man. They haven't got Star Wars. Mm, that's that's very questionable. There were some good Star There were some good Star Wars. There were some good Star Wars references in the show. So I can't complain there. But uh, why not? Why not, you know? Hasbro lightsabers aren't that expensive, <laughs> you know, as long as you don't accidentally hit someone while they're trying to eat, it'd, it'd be pretty good, I think. Anyways, also joining, That's very true. Yeah, also joining us this week, it's a blast from the past, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you'll recognize his voice from the, from the, what is it, the Irish garrison of the 501st, our old buddy Mr. Chris Lynn is back. Chris, welcome back to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to talking some Jar Jar tonight. Yeah. Um, 
crazy to think that we're getting to the last missions now. I'm going to miss this show when it's gone. Yeah, yeah, we're getting to the end, and, and Chris has been there with us since the beginning. You were on the very, very first episode, all the yeah, way back. Yeah, the, the Clone Wars movie, that's right, yeah. yeah. All the way back in, long ago in 2013. Or was it? Tw- <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, all the way back so, yeah. then, yeah. 2013, it's crazy. Yeah, we really are at the end. And now, Chris, you, you told us before the show that Jar Jar is in your top five Star Wars characters. Now, I, I like, I love Jar Jar. I get it. But for the people that are listening that don't really feel that way about Jar Jar, care, care to defend your, 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 um, your point of yeah, view? Yeah, I guess. Well, I've not put that much thought into it in terms of why I have such a, a drawing to Jar Jar, but I think it comes from years of just defending Jar Jar. You know, when I've always been a big fan of the prequels. And when anyone comes out to attack them, Jar Jar's always that, that first point. Mm-hmm. And just after so many years of defending Jar Jar, he's just become very endeared to me. <laughs> I also think over the course of the Clone Wars, you know, it did a lot for his character from the Bombad Jedi episodes right the way through to these ones that we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. He just he works so well and he, did, he fits that Clone Wars style. He's, what, he's a really natural character in there. But um, my, my Jar Jar fandom goes so far as actually... Um, on my wedding day, as part of oh. my wedding speech, I actually referenced Jar Jar. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was trying to tell the story of the the first argument that I ever had with uh, with Shadow, and it was uh, quite a drunken argument, if I can say that. <laughs> the um, about the the comic value of Jar Jar Binks. Oh no! Nice. You know, in the end, I think I won. <laughs> so yes, you I'm, think uh, you won? Yeah, well, uh, well, she, well, she did marry you, so I, I have to think she pro- yeah. you probably won that round. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was a comment that was over a lot of people's heads when I was making that speech, but she appreciated it, so. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, let's let's get into these episodes. The Disappeared Parts 1 and 2. Kieran, do you have episode descriptions for us for this week? I do indeed, Dominic, and we'll commence with The Disappeared Part 1. The peaceful world of Bardotta and its mystic ways are threatened by an ancient prophecy and its top spiritual leaders have vanished. Queen Julia of Bardotta calls for help from her most trusted friend in the Senate, Jar Jar Binks. The Disappeared Part 2. Jar Jar Binks, Binks' beloved Queen Julia of the planet Bardotta, has been abducted by the bloodthirsty Frangul cult to fulfill a dark and ancient prophecy. Representative Binks and Jedi Master Windu must find the missing queen, before the cult and their great mother can rise in power. Yeah, so some interesting episodes. We get to see uh, different different types of Force users other than Jedi and Sith, which is something we haven't seen before and something that we'll probably be seeing more and more of as Star Wars progresses. Knights of Ren, anybody? Uh, but, we'll, but we'll get into all that. First, we'll start with our initial impressions of the episode. And Chris, since you're the guest, uh, overall, what were your initial impressions of The Disappeared Parts 1 and 2? And uh, have they have they changed since long ago, back in 2014? Yeah, well, I actually only watched these episodes like the, the one time before mm-hmm. um, when I first watched through all of The Lost Missions, and it was kind of that whole big binge-watch-it-in-one-weekend kind of thing, which was... A really different way to watch Clone Wars. Yeah. So I think you guys touched on this a little bit, talking about the Order 66 and even the Clovis arcs, that, like, it wasn't the most standout of arcs. You know, as much as I love Jar Jar, it was, yeah, it was okay. But watching it this morning, I had to go on this podcast and just seeing it on its own, it's a fun little adventure. It's got really good comedy through it, and um, I think it holds up with the rest of the Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Karen, how about you? Uh, I agree with a lot of Chris's sentiments there. The arc itself whilst on the surface superficially may not seem to have any real significance in the grand mythology of star wars when you actually watch it for the second third and fourth time you realize there's a lot more depth to these episodes than just being a jar jar and mace fun little adventure which Let's not deny it, the plot does suit that um, presupposition, so to speak. However, when you start 
talking about who these Bardossans are, the Frangle cult, and, and the ties that these two particular factions have to the Force, and then you add the Jedi to this, it's, it's quite a compelling arc, I have to say. So, in terms of the initial impressions, I'll admit that when you're comparing it to Order 66, Clovis, and then later the Yoda arc in the Lost Missions episodes, they're not they're not the best. They're not certainly going to be top of that list. However, if you're going to be placing this arc um, in term in terms of ranking the in clone the entire uh, list of Clone Wars episodes, and I would actually say this one would would be above average. To be fair, which may sound quite you know folly in, in in some people's minds but i actually think that this arc has got a lot to offer what, what did you make of it dominic yeah well i i enjoyed this one kind of like how you guys said you know it was in the middle of the binge watch it didn't really didn't really have the same ramifications as you know order 66 or yoda arc and even even the clovis clovis arc to an extent but i think looking back on it now one it's interesting to see this kind of as Jar Jar's swan song because let's be honest, there's not going to be any more Jar Jar Binks stories, at least not for a really long time. And if he is included in anything from here on out, it will be in a very small role. We won't see any more Jar Jar centric stories, uh, which is unfortunate because, you know, well, I don't know if I would put Jar Jar in my, my top five characters like Chris, but I, I would definitely, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to seeing more stories from him. Or about him, or you know what goes on, or what happens to him after the after the fall of the Republic, during the dark times, during the rebellion era. It, I think it's 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 there's a lot of great potential there for a redemption story, or for any all kinds of different stuff with Jar Jar, because you know at the end of the day, he was manipulated more so than anybody else by Palpatine to really create this situation that became the Galactic Empire. And so, you know, I, I like these episodes as, as they gave Jar Jar kind of a heroic, fitting send-off. You know, there was some humor, there was some fun, and but at the same time, Jar Jar definitely came out looking pretty good in these episodes. So from that standpoint, I, I did really enjoy them. I also found a lot of this stuff with the the Force, uh, with the Dugoyan Masters really interesting, and the, and the cults and... And all these different ways of looking at the Force. And, you know, that's something that I think we're going to be doing a lot more of in this new era. And, you know, I mentioned the Knights of Ren off the top we know are going to play a big part, or, well, at least Kylo Ren will, in the sequel trilogy. So, you know, could this sort of be something that we're going to learn more about? That there are lots of different types of Force users out there. There's not just the Jedi and the Sith, but there's the Degoyan Masters, these cultists, the Knights of Ren, all sorts of different uh, factions. And so I, I think these episodes could, in the long run, kind of have hinted at an interesting future that we didn't really see at the time because we were just thinking, hey, look, Jar Jar and Mace Windu on an adventure together. What fun. But I, I do want to start with the Degoyan Masters and with with this this idea of new force users in general, because it it seems to me that like is it a requirement to be crazy to to be a force user? Because these Degoyan masters and the Jedi they have this bizarre rivalry where the Degoyan masters they don't like the Jedi, and so they're so blinded by that that they can't let the Jedi let Mace even try and help them. It's almost the same way the Jedi are so stuck in with their code and their rules that they won't train the chosen one when he's presented before them. Kieran, why is it that it seems in order to be a force user or to be a, even a light side force user, you have to be somewhat crazy and somewhat petty? <laughs> That's quite interesting argument you've raised there, actually. I don't know if it's necessarily as blunt as that. However, the rivalry between the Degoyan Masters and the Jedi, as you have said rightly there, is extremely compelling. And I think the way since well, the the way we perceive force users has really 
drastically altered since the beginning of the Clone Wars. No longer are we subsumed into this dogmatic notion that there is simply the Sith and the Jedi. They are the only two types of Force wielders. That's strictly not true. And we've seen that with the Night Sisters and their use of the dark magics, which, of course, we'll, we'll touch upon in this arc as well. And now we see it with the Dagoyan Masters. And there's also allusions to it in Episode 7 with the Cult of Wren. So I think we're really going to start to see a number of these factions arising to the surface. And some of them may well have only emerged in the times post-Empire or uh, post-Jedi. However... Um, as we see with the Degoyan Masters, we shouldn't be too surprising if the factions that are introduced in, say, Rebels or in um, later films of these different factions, we shouldn't be surprised that they've existed for countless generations or centuries even. We just haven't focused on them because we've been concentrating on the duel between the Sith and the Jedi. Um, and so in terms of how you know, we have to examine the Jedi and these Dargoyan masters, uh, we should look at them from the same brush. But, of course, they just use the Force in different ways. And mm. I think that we as Clone Wars fans will be far more enlightened to that aspect than any other uh, type of Star Wars fans, I would say. I think if you've only watched the films or if you've only watched Rebels or played video games, read novels, whatever, well, or, or read non-Legends Universe material, then you, you won't be as privy to this type of interpretation of the Force than we will be. So, um, I, as I said at the beginning, there's a lot more in-depth um, that we can analyse in this arc than first meets the eye. Yeah, so I, if I can... If, if you're saying that, you know, the Degoyan Masters and the Jedi they're both sort of ancient light side orders that have kind of become caught up in their own ways that they can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they were once aligned together. Well, yeah. But they've clearly, there's clearly been a schism somewhere. And we know at the beginning of this arc, that schism really resided in the fact that Jedi took these Dargoyan um, children and raised them to become Jedi. Now, the Degoya Masters interpreted that as being an act of you know, thievery. Yeah. And that they, they perceived the Jedi as being, um, you know, capturing these youngsters as a vile action mm -hmm. uh, against the natural order. And that's where we see this massive rift surfacing between the two particular cults. I mean, at least so the Jedi have in the past tried to realign themselves together or at least you know, try to forge an alliance but the Degoyan masters are having none of it and we can really see that from the beginning of this arc when Jar Jar arrives with Mace first thing that one of the masters says is we didn't invite you and so they don't want anything to do with the Jedi they are their own type of force users that's how I interpret it but I'll be interested to hear yourself and Chris's thoughts on this matter yeah, I mean, Chris, do you think that, you know, part of being or part of the issue in this era is that, you know, everything has existed for so long without any major shakeups that people are really just kind of that not just the Jedi, but everyone in general is beginning to kind of lose their way and, and be willing to or, you know, just kind of get stuck in, you know, looking at how looking at the past and this is how things have always been done. So this is how we should do them. Do you think that just what we're seeing with, with the Jedi and the Dogoyan masters is maybe a little bit indicative of the galaxy at a whole at this point, And that, you know, perhaps this is partially why Palpatine was able to rise up and that this is something that, you know, someone like Luke Skywalker is going to have to deal with, you know, once, you know, once he starts trying to rebuild the Jedi order, whatever that means. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much exactly how I would take it. I think it's you, you have these long-established orders, like like you say, but the the stress of the times, you know, everybody's under great strain, great suspicion, and then even if you want to take it on a, a simpler level, you know, there's the shroud of the dark side over mm -hmm. everything. So all these force-using groups are going to get very suspicious, very paranoid, 
Miss Windu, we know, is very paranoid, doesn't trust people. So it it is it's it, it's it's the time. It, it's it's a product of the time, and it is it's what Palpatine takes advantage of. Um, and it's interesting, I think, in these episodes to see that sort of mirror against the Jedi Order in the form of these Spartans. Mm. Um, but I also even just really like the idea of opening up the Force this way. You know, we had Night Sisters before, kind of like an alternate dark side. Now we've got this alternate light side as well. Yeah, um, and yeah. it you know Yoda makes it pretty clear that the the, the difference between the Bardotans and the Jedi is that the Bardotans are not warriors, and. Isn't that kind of what the Jedi were supposed to be? Doesn't that, isn't that sort of, it comes, you know, when Yoda says, you know, a Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. That to me kind of sounds a bit more like what the Bardotans are doing in this time period than the, than the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's exactly right. It's, um, it's like I say, it's, it's showing you where, where the Jedi could have been, what they should have been, even just an alternate take on how you can be a, a a do-gooder and, and follow the force. But again, I think it, it reflects our world. You know, there's many different forms of religion and these kind of things. And I like to see that they, they balance that out in Star Wars. And it does give a really interesting contrast against the Jedi Order. Yeah. Uh, where they fall into from what they, they should have been. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's get into, to Jar Jar. Let's talk about Jar Jar in these episodes. Yes. He is, he is the only person that Queen Julia will, uh, speak to. And, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to talk about Jar Jar, but I have to bring this up. You know, once again, we see the Jedi Order sort of missing the point of their own teaching because Jar Jar is the one that is being requested. Jar Jar is the only one that the Queen will trust. And yet they can't just trust that trust in the force, trust in the idea that they that, you know, everything happens for a reason, as Qui-Gon teaches. And. Here, here we go. Mace Windu decides he has to tag along with Jar Jar Banks, leading to some very interesting uh, interaction between the two. Uh, Chris, just I'll throw it to you. What did you think of the team up between Jar Jar Banks and Mace Windu? A team up I think most everybody never thought we would see. Oh yeah, definitely. That was uh, the least expected uh, team up on the Clone Wars, but I thought it worked really, really well. You know, you had the the straight guy and the funny guy. Yeah. And um, it was a perfect comedy team up, you know, sort of odd couple type thing. Also a bit of a buddy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they played off really, really well. You know, Jar Jar's quite cute, quite silly in the way he's trying to be respectful. Um, Mace generally lets him away with things when it's too much for Jar Jar to be respectful. But it, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun relationship and it goes well. And it's funny even seeing the way their relationship develops like mace is really having none of it in the first episode um but by the end of the second one you know they're, they're getting on <laughs> yeah yeah karen what do you think of the of the team up oh i love the team up team up between mace and jar jar and it what was so good is the way that the clone wars team handled the evolving interaction between those two characters because it's not your necessarily typical uh, two Jedi going on a mission together and you know, Master Padawan and they're following the same types of teachings and instructions that they've learned since their youth. These are two completely different types of characters. You've got Mace Windu, who in my mind is completely representative, almost a personification of the dogma of the Jedi being so fixed in his ideals and his principles and he's unwilling to adapt to any changes uh, from the traditional orthodox stance. And then you've got Jar Jar. He's like bumbling. Some, sometimes people will call him a bit of a goofball, but you know, he, he is far more adaptable, you could argue, to these situations. And yeah, he just follows his instinct. He doesn't necessarily sit down and, 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 be, and, and actually think about what he has, what he's doing and, uh, and calculating any of his moves. He acts on spontaneity. And so having those two types of characters, having to work together, having to learn how to work together effectively, I think it was absolutely fantastic the way it was done. And I think the comedic value of these episodes is everywhere to be seen. I think it's so palpable, but it works it works so well, I think, and um, you know, whether it's uh, at the beginning when Queen Julia is talking with Jar Jar and 
And she says, oh, so this Jedi's your servant, is he? And then uh, Jar Jar says, oh, yeah, 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 he's my servant. And then Mace just gives him that look, that thick <laughs> stare of what? Yeah. Do you mean I'm your servant? And I think just the, the balance and rapport between those two characters, it was so good. And it really helped to, to contribute uh, and, and make this arc much more than just a, a standard little adventure almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely was a, it was a different kind of story. And I think, you know, you're right. It's kind of the, uh, Chris, it's the kind of the buddy cop, uh, Star Wars, Star Wars genre, you know, it, and you guys are totally right. You know, the putting Jar Jar and Mace together was a genius, uh, formula for humor because Mace was kind of that, that ultimate straight man in the prequels, um, almost to the point where, you know, he was almost annoying because he was so serious. He couldn't look at things. He was so bent on following the rules. And so to kind of change things around by putting Jar Jar in there to kind of make him look at things differently, I think was a, was a great, was a genius stroke by the crew, by the writers and, and, and all that. And I, I think they played off each other really well. And I loved the way Jar Jar referred to him as a master and mace, master and mace. <laughs> I thought that was uh was some really good stuff. Now, let's talk about Jar Jar's relationship with Queen Julia. <laughs> that, there's something that came out of left field. Um, Kieran, what do you think of Jar Jar and Julia? Or, or I feel like they need some kind of like celebrity shipper name, like Jar Julia or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who the funk it? I mean. Jar Jar, a bit of a player, it seems, on the old love scene front. Yeah. No, I don't think anyone really would have anticipated that, but, well, she certainly saw something in him that was completely irresistible in terms of his charm and according spontaneity. To, according to Yoda, it's it's his childlike mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, you see? He's playful, he's, he's, he's quite approachable. So, I mean, they're all characteristics, therefore, that could endear... Um, someone like Queen Julia, it seems, to Jar Jar. I think what was so fascinating about it all was that it, whilst it did come out of the blue and extremely left field, it's the way that uh, we're told about this. It's um, you know, Jar Jar and Julia have had some sort of long-standing affair. It's not something that's just kind of come out of being, I don't know, a year ago when he was a senator. This is, seems to be when he was back when he was a Gungan and um, didn't have any of this like political knowledge, but he, he clearly ran into this Queen Julia and the, the relationship had just blossomed. I mean, she was probably devastated when she found out that, you know, he was going on leave, so to speak. It's a bit like when, I don't know, uh, a, a couple are separated because um, they're going to two different universities or colleges like, at different sides of the world. So it's like when Padme you know, went, went to become a, to become a public servant and the, uh, Paulo there went to become an artist. Exactly. It happens. And so why can't it happen with Queen Julia and Jar Jar? Jar Jar went into politics. She was like, no, Jar Jar, don't go into politics. I want you here by my side. Yeah, no, so I've got to follow the Republic. So they can they can meditate all night long. Oh, God, I'll tell you what. That line is amazing. I love that because <laughs> then Mace talks with Yoda on a little communication device he has. And he says, yeah, well, I've been meditating for a very long time. <laughs> oh, very funny illusions there. Yeah, yeah. Little, little, uh, adult humor snuck into the, uh, Cartoon Network show by <laughs> the writers there. Um, Chris, how about you? How, where did you come down on, on Jar Jar and Julia or Jar Julia, as I'm Jar going Julia. to start, start yeah. calling them now? Yeah, well, Jar Julia, I think, is probably my favorite aspect of this story. It comes back to how you were saying at the start that this is essentially going to be Jar Jar's swan song, like as far as, as far as we know. Yeah. This is probably the, 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 the last really thing of Jar Jar in any real way. And it's great to just to give Jar Jar a girlfriend. He's just a oh, poor Jar Jar. You know, he's been through so much, but he's, he's, got, he's got a girl, and I think that's really, really cool. And even just like all these haters out there that can't stand Jar Jar flaming on the internet. I suspect George has got one more girlfriend than most of them, so. 
<laughs> yeah, gives him a yeah, Burn. Gives, yeah, gives him a happy ending, I, I suppose. Yeah, they, it was fun to see this. It was, it was, you know, it was a different sort of story. This, this whole arc was just kind of a, a, a fun little, you know, swan song for Jar Jar Binks, and I, and I think you're right. You know, giving him the girlfriend, giving him, you know, sort of this happy ending, essentially. You know, he can, you know, once the Empire rises, he can flee Coruscant and head back to Bardada and hang out with Queen Julia and they can meditate for the rest of their lives together. It, it, it'll be, uh, be lovely. It'll make for a, a great, uh, great anthology film 30 years down the line. Uh, it, it, when they digitally recreate Ahmed Best to digitally recreate Jar Jar Banks, it'll be great. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that, that one, you know, it takes a while. It takes a while to, <laughs> It's one you have to think about. Um, but let's, let's, let's talk about Mother Talzin in this arc. You know, we, we, you're right. We kind of see the, in this arc, we see both the, you know, the alternate Jedi in the Bardotan masters, the Degoyan masters, I should say. And we also see like the alternate Sith in the, uh, in the Night Sisters, or at least in Mother Talzin. Now, there's a line that Mace says when he says magic is just an illusion. That sword she was wielding looked pretty real to me. What do you think? What do you guys think that actually means? Because we, we you know, this is something we keep coming back to with the Night Sisters: is what are their powers? Is it the Force? Is it something different? I, I'm very much in the camp that I believe it's some sort of, um, you know, dark side version of the force that you know is is tapped into in different ways other than just you know meditating or anger but it tapped into through incantations and and potions and that sort of thing but you know mace is pretty much is pretty set in his ways that magic is it's something different it's it's just an illusion it's not at least to me it came across as mace was saying you know i have the force which is real whereas your magics are just an illusion um karen where do you stand on, on this where what do you think the the you know is magic just an illusion as mace would say or is there something more to it and this is another yet another example of the jedi sort of being stuck in their own ways and and blind to some of the realities around them there is certainly more to the magics than just being a mere illusion and the way that i read that particular line is i see that of course as representing a, a perception and a view that is held by Mace Windu and no doubt that view um, is, is correspondent to many other members of the Jedi Order but we shouldn't necessarily treat that line as as being authentic, as being strictly true. We've seen enough, I believe, of the, of the magics and the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars um, to, to showcase that their power is real. It is real. It's a manifestation of the Force. It's a different type of manifestation than the Jedi use and even the Sith use to an extent. Although, of course, we do see in the next arc the the Sith sorcery element as well. So, as you said, Dominic, we can see the close ties here between the dark magics and uh, the dark side. I think that much is is overt. However... It, it, it's again the Jedi just being quite blind and um, to what's going on around them. I mean, the, the talk about in this particular arc how um, if the Dargoyan masters steal the essence from the Queen and then give that to Mother Talzin, it will culminate in a rise of this new order, which again would threaten the peace and stability of the galaxy, which of course is already unstable. However, uh, the Jedi are blind to this. They didn't know any about anything like this was going to happen. It was troubling, you know, just this, oh, it was troubling about, you know, the Dargoyan masters being kidnapped, but they didn't know who was behind this, um, this so-called great mother. So I, I do think that Mace Windu talking about magic is only an illusion. I, I don't see how, how that could be substantiated. I don't see much evidence to verify that statement at all i i could be reading it completely wrong but i just see the magics as a, a manifestation of the force in a different way there's one instance 
in the series where I can think of where the statement magic is just an illusion I think rings true and that is when Savage Opress is killed. When he's killed, he goes from being the monster back to just being the, you know, the Zabrak that we saw back in, uh, you know, in the, in the very, very first episode with him. So there's, I wonder if, if, if the truth is somewhere in the middle here. If there's aspects to magic that are just an illusion that, you know, Savage Opress was this monster, but at the end of the day, as soon as, but there's something about the the way that he was created that makes it not entirely true. But at the same time, we also see things like you know they they create uh, his axe out of out of nothing, out of the air, or, and it's still it's still a very real weapon. Or the way that she is able to conjure up that sword and fight Mace with it. Chris, where do you come down on on magic? Is it is it just an illusion, or is or is there something more to it? Um, I think I can see it both ways. I, th- I think in the Star Wars galaxy, Yoda's very clear in the Empire Strikes Back. Everything is of the Force, mm. and I could to- totally agree with this argument that it's different ways of tapping into the Force and a different way to manipulate the Force. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is an oversimplification. But I kind of see Mace Windu's line here about magic is an illusion as it has this illusion of being something different from the force, mm. but it still he still senses the force within it, and that's why it's you know he's Mace Windu, he's master of the force. She's weak <laughs> compared to him, and it really is just force on force. Is kind of the way he's seeing it, perhaps. But yeah. I just think ultimately that magic it has to be of the force. Yeah, and I kind of anytime you see sparkly green lightning or glowy <laughs> stuff, that's an illusion. Yeah, <laughs> but the force behind it's very real. <laughs> yeah, so. What you're saying is is basically magic is just a way of, of tapping into the force and it creates these things that, you know, like, you know, these weapons or, or what have you, they're just kind of manifestations of the force that are made to look like something. And the illusion is that they're they're looking like, you know, Savage Press is, uh, is made to look like that monster because of the force or this, you know, Night Sister magic variation on the force that has been injected into him but as soon as as soon as that goes away he immediately shrinks back into the character we first meet in in monster right yeah but i think it it kind of like our our attempt here trying to explain that i think says it all yeah (laughs) it's it's not like chips inside of clone brains this is not one of the times that star wars gets into science yeah (laughs) it's then something along those lines there's there's a lot of illusion going on, as Miss Windu says. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Karen, do you want to weigh on, in on this anymore? You know, with the, the illusions and because there's you know one other thing I, I definitely want to bring in here is it's from the the, the Son of Dathomir comic, and it, it's revealed in there that you know Mother Talzin was at one point uh, next in line to be Sidious's uh, apprentice. So it makes it pretty clear there that. The Night Sister magic does come from the Force. It, it's now it's just a matter of how does the how is the Force used this way? How is the illusion put together? Yeah, I think that is interesting. And talk about this whole aspect of dark magics. But where is that originated from? How old is Mother Talzin? How long? Uh, if, if we're saying she's next in line to be Darth Sidious's apprentice, well, you know, Sidious wasn't here from the beginning of time but are we are we are we assuming that the dark magics were conjured up as a result of mother Towson's actions or the actions of an old order because mm. i don't think that's necessarily made clear to us the history and the backstory of these dark magics because as both of you have rightly said it is a manipulation of the force it's it's the way that um the force users have, have really uh used it in their own particular fashion um however how is that um necessarily uh, link into uh, dark magics and sif sorcery where do we lie with those particular elements and uh, i mean in terms of Towson's personal character i think what fascinates me is the way that she she is in a way desperate and longing to to be a force she wants to be a player in this game mm-hmm. she recognizes that there is a game there it's a bit, 
a bit like the Star Wars version of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because you've got the Sith, you've got the Jedi, and then you've got the Knight Sisters. Because Mother Towson says the line, which I thought was quite interesting, quite an interesting aspect to examine in terms of her character and her motivations was she says, I'm not worthy of the trouble or attention of the Jedi order. Yeah. And she seems to be quite resentful about that fact. Um, as, as though that she should be perceived as something bigger than just, you know, witch mm. as, as, as they term her as. So I'll, I'll, well, I'll, feed that back onto you two then you know what do you make about mother Towson's motivations then and um what, what is her end game here well we definitely i think you're right that she definitely wants to be a, a player in in the you know the galactic game of thrones um but i would you know you we we know in the from the darth maul comic that continues the clone wars uh, that her it seemed that her her goal in bringing back Maul and bringing back and getting Ventress on her side and, and all this was ultimately to kill Sidious, to take his place. It's a very Sith-like attitude. She wants to be the, you know, embodiment of the dark side. Now that's kind of, that's, that's my interpretation of what goes down in, in that series. And, you know, when we get to that, we'll, we'll get into it a lot more, but ultimately she wanted to kill Darth Sidious partially out of revenge and I think partially because she wants to be a player in in this in this game, you know, the Night Sisters were kind of exiled off to the side, and and it seemed like a lot of them were, were pretty happy with kind of just living off off in the side. But she, we know that she has had experiences with Dooku, with Sidious. She has been out there in this bigger game, and you know, she was kind of manipulating Savage Press and and Darth Maul, and kind of letting them. You know, letting them do their thing, create this uh, army for her that she could later use, and I, I think you're right. I think she wanted to be a player in in the in these games. Uh, but but Chris, where do you stand on on this? Uh, I think definitely she was. We know she was fighting to be a, a bigger part of things mm-hmm. uh, in the previous seasons when we saw her. Yeah. Um, these particular two episodes, I think, very much she's just focused on trying to regain sort of her power, and um, not so much like politically but just physically like i'm not like sure he's like i know she's talking about trying to get the force energy from the queen here yeah it's supposed to bring her back into like a physical realm and she's only like a spirit at the minute but i think basically she's she's trying to get the energy at this stage and that seems to be her whole focus here um not that i disagree with anything that you guys have said particularly from the the son of daftimer comics i think you're quite right with that stuff dominic but um there's not a huge amount that we can take from these two episodes about uh, tells i don't think yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You know, there's this is part of the process is just going out there and, and trying to regain some power after you know her power base was essentially destroyed in uh in, in uh in season four. You know, when when yeah. the when Grievous attacked, you know that kind of destroyed her power base. And now, uh, you know, she still has Darth Maul out there, but we know that. You know, we know from Sidious that, you know, the dark side never really puts all their eggs in one basket. You know, Sidious was looking at, Sidious had Dooku as his, as his apprentice for so long. But all that while, he's still watching Anakin, seeing if Anakin is, is worthy of, of taking his place. And, you know, we kind of had that same thing with, uh, with Dooku. You know, he was always looking for a, a new apprentice, you know, whether it was, uh, Asajj Ventress or Savage Opress, you know, there's, there's the sense that you know, yeah. There's their main focus. This is their their main plan. But there, there's also probably a backup here or there. You know, even even Zidius, You know, at one point maybe he thought he just needed the uh, the Trade Federation to to really achieve his goals. But ultimately, he had to branch out into the rest of the Separatist Alliance at at some point down the line. But yeah, I, although I, I do think it's really interesting the idea. Uh, is this the first time? that we see kind of a physical manifestation of the force in, in these episodes, because we see the Degoyan masters, you know, having the living force, you know, taken out of them and put into that orb. Is that just a, a manifestation of the, of the force? Is that, Cause that's, that seems a bit odd to me that, that it would, would be like that. What did you guys think of, of that, of that, the green glowy orb? That was the sort of the one part of, part of this arc more so than anything that happened with Jar Jar that kind of had me going, Okay, re- really? Why? Uh, what, what did you think of that, Chris? Yeah, well, 
anything that's green. Like, like I said, <laughs> I chalk up to being a mother child's an illusion. Okay. Um, did, is it a physical manifestation that we're actually looking at? I'm not sure because, of, like I said, the whole magic is an illusion green debate that we've, we've had already. But the story seems pretty adamant that the force energy is within that ball mm-hmm. and it fairly explodes when they drop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a tough one to call. Yeah. I mean, the force is not something that I ever imagined can be held like the, I don't know. Yeah. But magic's an illusion. <laughs> yeah. Magic's an illusion. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's just kind of, you know, again, the way that mother Talzin taps into the force is not really natural. And she probably, yeah. gave them that orb that orb is probably an old night sister thing that they put you know they can yes. distill power into and and just going back to the magic is an illusion thing you know i think it's also the the whole thing about magic is it's also the way that the force is tapped into because talzin says you know she's not a natural force user and you know you can take that two ways you can take that either as she's not a natural force user and that that's why she needs this force so that she can tap into it or she's not a natural force user in that she doesn't tap into, she taps into the force in unnatural ways. You know, she doesn't just meditate. She doesn't reach out with the midi chlorians. She, you know, conducts spells and makes potions and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it, all of this, this Towson and, and night sister magic stuff. It, 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 it gets confusing, but at the same time, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like that. There's no, obvious answer to it you know we can kind of look at it and go this is a different this is a different mystery to the force that the force should not be something that we can just understand it's something that should remain mysterious and you know we can learn little things here and there like okay midi chlorians help us tap into the force or there's the cosmic force and the living force and you know there can be little things we can learn little aspects here and there that can broaden our understanding of it. But I also think it should mostly remain shrouded in mystery and that there should be constantly be new ways of using it and understanding it that were presented in these, in these stories like night sister magic. And as long as, you know, it makes sense in the story, I don't really necessarily need to know precisely how it works. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I think I agree exactly with that. But I think even just because you bring up the, the midichlorians, and I, and I know the big complaint is that it's making science out of the force, but I think stuff like this goes a long way to show that it doesn't really. Yeah. It, it is, as you say, it's just a, a way that a certain you know, certain people can tap into the port into the force, but stuff like this shows that it's way more complicated than just something like that. But it still doesn't tell you what is the force, you know? Yeah, Sorry. absolutely. Absolutely. Karen, what do you want to say? And... Well, just adding on to that, I don't think we can necessarily define the force in any particular monolithic way. And there is no single definition of what it is. And I feel that the mystery of the force is, from the viewer's standing, as relatable to the characters in-universe. Because as you said, Dominic, we can broaden our understanding, and that's really what the Jedi and the Sith are doing. But they're never ever going to harness the energy to understand and exactly what the force is. Uh, I mean, just look at the later role. I won't go into too much detail, but you know, when Qui-Gon, he represents the living force. And you talk about the whole visual side there. And on Dagobah, you can see the little like yellow type, whatever they are, light light thingy-mabobbies. I haven't really got a term for it, so I'm just going to say thingy-mabobbies. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, I mean, it, clearly, it can just be a form of an illusion, but if the living force presides in every living being, it's not going to be the same, it's going to be different, and there's going to be no way that um, one can tap into every single aspect of the force unless you're one of these sort of diet like force wielders but at this particular point particularly in the prequels not even Sidious can tap into that type of power or understanding so yes in terms of what the force is and the idea that metachlorians are supposed to make it scientific to be honest it's more just a measuring tool to help us understand it better as viewers and as in character because it's so vast and it's so 
um, yeah, there's so many wide ranging interpretations of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're you're absolutely onto it there. Um, so, is there anything else you guys want to bring up about these episodes, or shall we move on to our favorite quotes? No, I'm I'm more than happy to move on. All right. Well, it's time for our favorite quotes. So this is the part of the show where we like to uh, shine the spotlight on some of the great writing in the series, or really just a favorite moment from the show, whether it's music, uh, directing, acting, dialogue, anything and everything. This is your chance to shine. This is a, this is the moment. This is the time we take to shine the spotlight on the team that works on the show. So. Uh, Kieran, last week, I, I threw it to you first. You took my quote. So I'm, I'm going to throw it to Chris, and then I'm going to go, and then you're going to go last because I want to make sure I get the good one this week. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, since you're the guest, did you have a favorite quote or a favorite moment from this uh, this this arc? From the arc? Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I think I really have two moments, one from each episode, both Jar Jar moments, of course. Yes. Um, the first one, I think it's one of the finest pieces of animation Um in the Clone Wars, if not just for Jar Jar. Um, the, f- the best bit of animation, of course, was back when Jar Jar was spinning the plates back in yes. <laughs> season three, except before season one. But it's it's when he first meets up with the Queen and she clears off all the guards and they have that kiss. Yes. And if you notice, Jar Jar lifts his ankle up in the air like like he's, he's the girl. It's, <laughs> it's really, really fun. Um, and the I, second didn't, one, I didn't notice that. Oh, I love you can go back and see it. It's fantastic. <laughs> And in the other Jar Jar moment, sorry if I'm stealing people's quotes with these, but um, when when they land on the planet in the second episode and oh, Miss no. Windu wants to sort of take time, and he's meditating and he's all, you know, I can see a marketplace. Oh. And Jar Jar's like, yeah, me to see this too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that uh, that was uh, that was going to be my moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good as long as as long as somebody shines the spotlight on that moment. Well, the other yeah. the other moment I I really enjoyed was uh, in the fight in the second episode when Jar Jar and, and is fighting that kid and Mace is taking on the Gundarks and Mace loses his lightsaber and, and the kid gets it and Jar Jar sort of knocks him out and they're, they're rolling around on the ground trying to get to the lightsaber first and Jar Jar just flings his tongue out and grabs the <laughs> lightsaber with his tongue and then spits it at Mace and Mace uses the force to, to pull it the rest of the way. I thought that was a, uh, a pretty funny Jar Jar moment. Uh, Kieran, uh, over to you. Favorite quote from favorite quote. None of you nick mine, so oh, you good. needn't fear, Dominic. So the the moment that is related to what to what Chris had said there, and it's when yes, the guards all turn their back, and Queen Julia is with Jar Jar, and she says the final quote before the scene then pans to Window and Yoda. Meditate with me, so our minds may be as one. <laughs> And we all know what that was alluding to. Oh, yeah. We, so, yes, tai chi. a lot of meditation. Tai Chi, yes. <laughs> what was that? Tai Chi. Chris said it, it, oh, doing, doing Tai Chi. Doing Tai Chi. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, man. Oh, what an episode. Good old Jar Jar. Good old Jar Jar and Julia. We wish them nothing but the best. And that will wrap things up for us here for another episode here of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. What a great episode. Lots of fun talking about Jar Jar and Julia and, of course, trying to trying our, our darndest to understand the Force. And I don't really feel like we got anywhere on that front. <laughs> we didn't need to. No. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right, Chris. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, to this episode discussing the Jar Jar arc. Before we go, we just have time for our final thoughts and score out of 10. So, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. What are your final thoughts on the Disappeared Parts 1 and 2? And, of course, score out of 10 for this arc. Yeah, um, it's a fun little episode. Good little homage to the Temple of Doom. Yes. Um, as we said several times, I think it's a really suitable swan song to Jar Jar. Some of his best humor. It's great to see him with the relationship. Um and you never know, it may not be the last we see of him. You know, he has gotten a lot of press lately. Yeah. Um, George Lucas' speech at D23, comparing him to Goofy. Yes. And I was really pleased to hear him under the lines, I love Jar Jar. Like, yes. He honestly aims Jar Jar was exactly as he intended, so I just think it's wonderful. And um, like I say, it's not the most exciting of arcs, but it's solid enough. I would give it a, a seven, seven and a half out of ten. All right. And Karen, how about you? 
I think this was fantastic art. It was certainly above average. It wasn't up there for with regards to the best, but you know, the comedic scenes, particularly between Jar Jar and, and Mace, as well as Queen Julia and Jar Jar, I wouldn't say that was that comedic because that was a very serious relationship there. And I think that we could all take something from those particular two characters. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that seriously. Hey! But <laughs> <laughs> So Queen Julia and Jar Jar was very, very compelling and interesting. And then, of course, we learn more about the Force. That's what makes this arc have that little bit more depth than just a, the superficial Temple of Doom-esque storyline. There's a lot more to it. So, yes, a fantastic episode, uh, or two episodes, I should say. And I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'll, I'll also give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, it was, yeah, it was Jar Jar's swan song. We won't be seeing much more of that character for, for a while now, if ever. Um, which is a shame. You know, I, I think, you know, history is, 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 is not yet finished with Jar Jar Binks. I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back on, on the hate Jar Jar got and, and not, and well, we can, we'll maybe understand it in the time frame, not fully understand, understand it in the future you know i i i I think that history will be kind to jar jar banks i still think that he has a future i think that there's still more of his story to be told whether or not we see that is uh is up up in the air but if this truly is the last we see of jar jar banks then i think this was a great way for him to go out uh as a hero as an action hero too i mean we saw you know he wasn't just stumbling around although there were a couple of instances where he did kind of have some of those uh Battle of Naboo esque uh, things where he accidentally took out the uh, took out the villains around him, but we also did see him, you know, definitely in the moment fighting alongside Mace, throwing some punches that he actually intended to throw, and I think that that seeing that was a, a nice way for Jar Jar to kind of get some level of redemption. And like you guys have said, I think uh, Jar Jar works very well in the animated format, and I think I think we saw that in these episodes. So that will wrap things up for us here this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back, uh, not 100% sure when, but very soon, probably either next week or in two weeks. We'll let you know on the social media uh, when we discuss the Yoda arc. That's right, the big one, the big grand finale of properly animated Clone Wars episodes. We're there. We're at the end. We really are. I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, but we'll be discussing that so much. I mean, we got into the force a little bit this week. We'll really be getting into the force next week or next time. I should say, um, if you want to get in touch with us between shows, you can send us an email. Clone Wars strikes back at gmail.com. Maybe you have a good understanding of the force and night sister magics. We'd love to hear it. You can send it to us there. Uh, you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. You can follow me personally at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran at CDuggan6. Uh, and be sure to like the Clone Wars Strikes Back on Facebook. If you want to keep a little Clone Wars in your news feed, that is the page to like. And Chris, you've got a Facebook page up and running. The Irish Chris Star Wars Stuff Facebook page. You want to give that That's a plug? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what you say. If you want to find some of my stuff, it's uh, Irish Chris Star Wars stuff. I'm not going to commit to any more than just some random Star Wars stuff. I might photograph some toys or be working on a 501st costume or just rant my thoughts and my love for Jar Jar. So yes. check me out. Yes. <laughs> Jar Jar love, absolutely. Uh, and be sure to subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. That's where you'll get this show and my other show, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. Uh, you get both shows for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. And that way you will never miss an episode of either show. And if you have time, we'd love it if you could leave a review and rating. Uh, speaking of the Star Wars Underworld, you definitely want to check out that show. It's recorded live Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on channel 1138.com. It's hosted by myself and my co-hosts, Chris and Ben. We break down the lit that week's uh, Star Wars news. And man, oh man, there's been so much. This past week, we broke down everything that came out of D23, like the director of Episode Nine, the cast of Rogue One, the Drew Struzan uh, uh, convention poster for The Force Awakens. Star Wars Land. That's right. Star Wars Land is coming. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some some Clone Wars Easter eggs thrown in there as well. Uh, so you definitely don't want to miss that. And who knows what next week will bring in terms of Star Wars news that we'll be discussing. So you can check that out 
the iTunes feed is the best place to find it. Also, StarWarsUnderworld.com. And StarWarsUnderworld.com is the place you want to be hitting up uh, between shows for all the latest breaking Star Wars news about things like the sequel trilogy, which we have to say it's sequel trilogy now. It's not just The Force Awakens. Now that they've announced the directors for the next two movies, it really is the sequel trilogy, uh, as well as the anthology films or the a Star Wars story films, however you want to call them. Rebels, Clone Wars, Battlefront, novels, comics, and everything else going on in the Star Wars galaxy. That is StarWarsUnderworld.com. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. We'll see you when we come back to discuss the Yoda arc. Until then, may the Force be with you. It's a wrap.